Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From the king of sports books comes the king of sports podcast. Unleashed. Presented by BetMGM. Here are your hosts, Speedy Mormon and Olivia Harlan Decker. Welcome back to Unleashed from the King of Sportsbooks, Bet MGM. Today, we are diving into the world of sneaker culture. Whether you are a hardcore sneakerhead or just sneaker curious, this show is for you. Our guest is the ultimate sneakerhead, Josh Luber, who is the founder of StockX that transformed the sneaker resale business into a multi-billion dollar industry. Later, Speedy will test my sneaker knowledge and our pal Peter Andrew from BetMGM will talk about his picks for this week. But before all of that, Speedy, what is all the fuss about sneakers? I don't get it. The, the question, I guess the better question is what is not the fuss about sneakers? Oh, I've been a guy that loves sneakers and has collected sneakers for many, many years. But let's let's start really basic. And I'm curious, how many pairs of sneakers do you own right now? Gosh, I I am guilty of having a lot because my husband was signed with Nike for four years. So I swear every time I open the front door, there was a Nike box. Now he's with Under Armour. So we're all Under Armour. I have a ton of sneakers for me. I just need to wear one pair till it wears out and then I'll go to another pair. And he thinks that's ludicrous. Oh, yeah. um, I will say just from a comfort standpoint, I really like Under Armour now. I walk all the time. I'm not a runner. I'm a walker. But I know when I'm talking about this, like the, the use of sneakers, that's not at all what you're talking about. So I know you're not really thinking about the comfort. You're thinking of the appeal, the street cred, the fashion. And I'm just like, what doesn't give me shin splints? Well, sometimes comfort is important. It is not the most okay. important thing. Sneakers are basically, there There are a few things, but I guess the main attraction of sneakers is the fact that they're a form of self-expression, right? So just like how, you know, you may like nice cars or you may like nice bags or jewelry or whatever. Guilty, There's a lot of guilty, people guilty. like myself who like sneakers 
and we mm-hmm. call ourselves sneakerheads. And so basically that means we either spend way too much money on sneakers or have way too many pairs of shoes. At the end of the day, we all only have one pair of feet, but there's no <laughs> such thing as too many sneakers. So you have a good amount of sneakers. I have... Yeah, how many? I want to say maybe like, maybe a hundred pairs of sneakers. And that's on the oh low end God. when it comes to sneakers. And you live heads. in New York. You've got no room for that. No one in New York has room for all those shoes. It just scattered around my crib. It's just like, wow. Like imagine like a pillar of sneakers, like a sneaker stack that goes from the floor to the ceiling. Just in the middle of the bathroom, there's one. And then there's one in the, no. in the sink. And then in the, on the bed, there's another. There's just sneakers everywhere in my house. But I think that, you know, what a lot of people may be surprised to find out, or or maybe not actually at this point is, you know, sneakers these days can sell, you know, upwards of four figures, sometimes even oh, five. Know. We're talking, you know, thousands of dollars for a single pair of sneakers. And, you know, everyone knows that Michael Jordan is a big contributor to the rise of sneaker culture. But, you know, there are a lot of other people who've since chimed in. And uh, contributed a bit. We're talking pop cultural icons from, you know, movie stars to rappers and musicians and even actors sometimes have collaborations with big sneaker brands. So sneakers are all of the fuss. But as much as I am a sneaker head, I don't know that I'm a sneaker expert. Well, if you had to guess, like if, if truly the world was crumbling down, you were fired from all 20 million of the jobs that you currently have and you had to sell all your sneakers. How much do you think your entire collection is worth? And that may be a nosy Uh, question, but I got to know. It is a nosy question, (laughs) Olivia, but you know, know, you and I have have built a rapport enough that I'll answer (laughs) as close as I can without making myself the target of a home invasion. Seriously? Uh, Yeah. Yes. My sneaker collection uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a, an interesting way to say this without snitching on myself. Let's just Good. say I'd be able to live for a few years relatively wow. comfortably. Rel- wow. rel- rel- relatively comfortably, I'd be able to have a, a solid salary, median income salary for a couple of years. I'll say that. Okay. Now that is impressive and you are very humble, but I know it rolling around in your head somewhere. There's a number. So I'll let, I'll leave your answer at that. Okay. I want to tell you a couple sneakers I have. And I had to ask my husband for what they were even called because I, I just don't know. And he's like, no, no, you have a good collection. So let me, I'm going to say what I have and you tell me if you're impressed. Let's, let's do it. I'm excited and ready. (laughs) Yeah. I've got multiple pairs of Jordan 11s. Ooh. Okay. See the Jordan for those who don't know. The Jordan 11 is, you know, Jordan has 34 signature models plus like wow. a bunch of team Jordans and, but the 34 are the main. And of those 34, the most popular are probably the ones, the threes and the 11s. And so the fact that you have multiple pairs of 11s <laughs> as someone who claims to not be a sneakerhead, I'm not buying it, Olivia. <laughs> I'm not buying it. Well, I also have the ones and the fours, but I got to tell you, I get all these in boys sizes. Okay. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I have the boys sizes, but I have to get like a boys large size. But so I have little boys Jordans <laughs> and then I've got a bunch of Air Max 90s. I went through a big Air Max Classic. 90s phase. I think yeah, they so- are such an attractive shoe. I, I love that they're a platform. I get a couple inches off of them. In fact, here's a good story about Air Max 90s. 
when I covered the Atlanta Hawks, Tabo Cephalosha was wearing them in games. Right. And I remember thinking that was so odd. And I kind of did some research. I found out he was the only one who did it in the whole NBA. Tabo Cephalosha, the only one to wear Air Max 90s in games. And I asked him why. And he kind of chuckled because they're not a very functional basketball shoe at all. And he laughed and he said, I'll do anything I can to get a couple extra inches under the rim. And I love that <laughs> answer. Thought that was great. That's okay, funny. And then the last and couple. Hold on. Before you chime, yeah. let me just say this. The Air Max 90 is not a basketball sneaker. So no. the Air Max line by Nike is more of a lifestyle, kind of comfortable everyday type of shoe. That's the vibe, you know, running out the crib to run errands or going to the supermarket. Like Air Max are just your everyday <laughs> comfy sneaker. So for someone like me, who knows a lot about sneakers, to hear that an NBA player is wearing an Air Max right. during a game, a shoe that is not even intended to be jumped in and ran in is, no. is, is pretty crazy. So shout out to Tavo Cephalosha for, to my knowledge, <laughs> not getting hurt on the court in these 90s. That's very impressive in its own right. Oh, no, that's the thing. He had ankle issues all the time and people were always asking him, change oh. your shoes. And well, I'll tell you right now, it's probably because he was playing in Air Max. And yes. Yes. And then the last couple just names that I have. And again, I had to ask what these were because I don't know. The Nike Dunks and the Nike yes. Blazers. Oh, are you impressed? Yeah, see, these are these are more iconic shoes. So the Nike Dunks. Okay. Are uh, a very classic shoe. The Nike Blazer as well. It's like a high top shoe. If you've ever seen the movie Like Mike, the Nike Blazer is the shoe that Calvin Cambridge got from off of the electrical wire that made him like Mike. Yes. Those are the Nike Blazers. Okay. So, wow, man, I feel like a nerd. I feel like a nerd just being I'm glad able you to schooled me on that. Take this information, give you fun facts That's about impressive. it. That's impressive. The Blazers I have are camo with a pink swoosh. They are very cool. Okay. I see. See, you were telling me you weren't a sneakerhead, but you got you got some of the sneakerhead cornerstone shoes. These are the staples of sneaker collecting. So I am very, very impressed with your sneaker collection. Phew. Well, you are a sneakerhead. I'm just a consumer, but we need a real sneaker expert. So let's bring on Josh Luber. All right, Olivia, at this time, I'd love to welcome in our special guest for this episode. He is the founder of StockX. He's also the ultimate sneakerhead, as you can tell by the background right now on his video. But Josh Luber is with us. Josh, what's up, man? How are you? What's up? Thanks for having me. It is an honor to have you. And I guess we'll, we'll start pretty basic here because Olivia, as she will certainly tell you in a moment, is not the biggest sneakerhead. No. But just broad strokes here. How would you describe what sneaker culture is to the layman? Wow. So we're starting small, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the really like interesting thing about that question is that, you know, in 2021, we're at a time where maybe we don't even have to explain that anymore. You know, there was, we spent so much of our lives as sneakerheads in this culture, explaining to our friends and families and girlfriends and boyfriends and everyone else about trying to explain what we do. And now it's, it's culture, right? It's crossed over. You know, StockX is today somewhere between four to five times bigger than what we thought the entire resale sneaker market was when we started this business. And it's because that sneakers sit at the intersection of culture and commerce. And we never could have imagined what this would be like in the combination 
of those two things. You know, when we started StockX, Kanye had one shoe with Adidas. Virgil hadn't created a single shoe. There was no Travis Scott Nike deals. There was no, you know, Drake Nike deals. Obviously, I just went way deep into all this. But to ask that question, it's such a great way to, to look at the evolution of all of this because I don't really see much of a distinction anymore between, you know, sort of sneakerhead culture and culture. Like it's all just become one thing. And how valuable is this sneaker industry, right? Because, you know, you and I have been sneakerheads for quite some time. And now that it's kind of permeated into what popular culture is, the value of it has grown immensely. How, wh- how valuable are we talking here? The way to answer that is almost to think about the entire sneaker market. However you value the resale sneaker market, and there's been a lot of people that have spent a lot of time and, and money trying to, to value it, different investment companies, different financial institutions. What is that number? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten billion. There's an estimate that, you know, maybe it goes to 20 to 30 billion within the next five years. However, you answer that question, there's a lot of variables that people could argue about. But what you can't argue about is that the retail sneaker market, the global sneaker market is over a hundred billion dollars. And as the two things have converged, as the primary and secondary markets have converged, as sneaker culture and popular culture has converged, that's really all we're talking about right now is just sneaker culture generally. Because if someone goes on to StockX to buy a pair of shoes, they no longer care if it's a retail or resale. They just want the product and they're willing to pay a certain amount for it. And that's kind of how we think about it now, both personally, how StockX, how most of the people in the industry look at it, which is just, hey, this person wants a sneaker, where it comes from and how we define that. It's not really important to that customer. Now, when you're thinking about, you know, kind of the growth of sneaker culture, you know, from the days of being able to walk into a footlocker and just buying the shoes right off of the wall. And then, you know, the period where there were, you know, the intense lineups, right? And you heard about all of these crazy stories, you know, crimes happening and people lining up for days on end and, and then having to explain to people who didn't understand what was happening, why people line up to, you know, what you've built now with Stock X, you know, the biggest reseller from of streetwear and sneakers on the internet, what do you make of what this whole journey has been like? You hit on a really important part, which is the the historical black eye, you know, within this industry. 1991, uh, Sports Illustrated cover your sneakers in your life, right? A pair of Jordan 5s and a gun. All the stories about people robbing each other for Jordans even back then. You know, even, you know, kind of one of the most seminal moments around the, the Galaxy phone release in, in 2012, All-Star Weekend 2012, all the campouts and riots and everything that's gone on. The sneaker brands and retailers have done a really good job of, of cleaning that up, of creating a, a system of fair and, and equitable distribution so that we don't have those scenarios anymore. It doesn't mean that the inherent demand and how strong that demand is and has become isn't, doesn't still exist. We just now have a more structured process in which to, to buy and sell those. StockX at the most, most basic level it's just about access. It's just about making this shoe or sneaker or streetwear or, or trading card available to anybody at a fair market price. And so that is the democratization of consumer goods that it should be. In fact, this is maybe the closest thing we've had to way, way back in the day when anybody could walk into a store and buy whatever they want off of the shelf. Now, that doesn't exist anymore and it hasn't existed for a really long time. For all the reasons that, that we know, because that demand is so high and everyone wants that product. So we've now kind of come full circle to that 
you know, access for everybody. It just looks different because we're in an internet age and we're at the point where sneaker culture, pop culture have converged. So a lot of things have changed, but in a lot of ways, we've kind of come back to the most basic, which is that anybody can get that product if they want it. Well, Josh, Speedy mentioned I'm not a sneakerhead, but I can definitely appreciate the currency of it. It's such a you know status symbol almost at this point. When do you think that happened? Like you mentioned back, it's available to everyone, but it's not. That's what makes a shoe more than a shoe. That's what makes this a culture. That's why you have such an important job. When do you think this became this lifestyle? There's been four really seminal moments in the history of sneakers and sneaker culture becoming what it is today. You know, the first is just 1985 and the first Air Jordans. Mm -hmm. The second is 99, 2000. That's the internet, eBay. You know, 1985 and the first Jordans, that kind of creates it. And now it's an underground local kind of thing. This is obviously pre-internet. Internet, Internet, eBay, Mm -hmm. 99, 2000. It's still a underground sort of thing, but at least it's now global available because of the internet. 2011, 2012, that's Galaxy Foam release, NBA All-Star Weekend. Uh, Concords at the end of 2011, but really it was also Instagram going through its own hockey stick growth. Instagram had just been bought by Facebook. Everyone in the world was converging to Instagram. You know, all sneakerheads ever wanted to do mm-hmm. is show off the shoes they have and see what everyone else is wearing. And so Instagram allowed everyone to do that at scale. Then the brand started using social media. That's kind of the third big moment. And I think the fourth big moment is really StockX and, and the businesses like StockX that just again, democratize that access to that. So you have these four points that move it from this local underground thing to a mainstream global thing uh, over that. And so there's no sort of one moment, but as you see that that timeline is all about difference of access. The demand is always there from the moment you put on a, a, you know, a, a pair of shoes for Michael Jordan, who's the most famous athlete in the world at the time, and then becomes the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, the demand is there and, and keeps coming more and more relevant, but you know, it's the access to everybody that, that continues to keep people involved and engaged because if you truly couldn't ever get it, if you truly could, at some point, everyone just, just gives up and goes away and they don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. So there is that, that element of, of how do I get it in or how much is it worth, et cetera, that becomes important for it. But that demand is inherent. It's still there anyway around those shoes. And by the way, I love the you fact- You mentioned just, back in the day, it was almost tough to explain- no, sorry. I was going to say, I love the fact that we're already like knee deep in like the, the economics, like lecture part of it. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, now, I was going to ask about your own trajectory in your career, because you mentioned earlier, it used to be hard to explain to your friends, your family, what you even did for a living. And you started at IBM and then founded Campless and now StockX. So walk me through how you even got so into this industry. I have the exact same story as, you know, every other 43 year old sneakerhead, right? I mean, I grew up you know, playing basketball when Jordan played, I always wanted a pair of Air Jordans. My mother would never buy me Air Jordans. As soon as I got some money, I bought Air Jordans. I mean, we all have like the same story and it's not even hyperbole. I mean, it's just, it's just true. Anyone of our era, uh, anyone near our age. I mean, actually, if you were anywhere near our age, you either came up through basketball or through skateboarding, which were two pretty distinct groups, you know, back when I was in middle school and, and high school. And now all that is, has converged. But so for me, it was, it was a kind of a very, you know, linear path starting there, but I'm an entrepreneur first. And I started three companies before StockX and Campus that had nothing to do with sneakers, almost intentionally. So almost intentionally avoiding creating a business of sneakers so that I didn't create a business that was just an excuse to play with sneakers. <laughs> and so it, 
may be either you know ironic or or inevitable that the company that was the most successful was the one where I was finally able to con- you know converge my personal passion with with the business part of it as well. But I also thought you know there's a there's a lot of other external factors that that got to that point too. Now, Josh, you spoke about the story that is consistent with almost every sneakerhead or sneaker collector ever, right? Because I have the same story as well. Always wanted Jordans. My mom couldn't afford it, wouldn't buy it, whatever. But still, so many years later, there are a lot of people who just don't understand and can't wrap their heads around the fact that there are sneaker prices, you know, well into the three, four, and sometimes even five figures. I've become exhausted trying to explain this to people, but maybe you can help (laughs) us explain that. Why are there sneakers that are so very expensive? It is exhausting. Uh, We've been talking about it for a while. And look, there's no question that it's ridiculous, right? Let's just put that out there. There's no question that, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here in in my sneaker room and I have a pair of Carhartt Jordan 4s here that that I didn't buy, that I was fortunate enough to be to be given a pair. But, you know, that shoe is sold at, at one time for as much as $30,000, right? That's insane. But it's just supply and demand. I mean, this is Econ 101 at its most, most basic. And, you know, when those shoes sold for 30000 it was a time when there were only 10 that were released. So people thought there were only 10 that exist. There was a collaboration between Eminem and, and Jordan Brand. So the demand is through the roof. The supply was almost non-existent with there only being 10. So $30,000 seems actually pretty cheap compared to the, the, what that price should be if there's only 10 in the world and it's a collaboration with, with Eminem and, and Jordan. So this really is like economics at, at its most basic. And you have to somewhat distance yourself from the fact that a pair of sneakers should cost $150 because that's just an antiquated thought. Like retail pricing for, for sneakers, for actually for any consumer good that's supply and demand driven, that has this construct of, of limited supply and high demand that, that people collect and, and value, the retail price is, a, is an antiquated concept. You know, I spent years at, at StockX trying to talk to the people at Nike and Adidas and, and the other brands, trying to get them to literally get rid of retail pricing, which as you can imagine, goes over exactly as well as you think it did. But <laughs> right. it, it's actually the right way to, to, to sell these products. And you, you know, you spoke about the fours, the Eminem Carhartt fours that you have for 30K. And that is a collaboration. And we know that collaboration in the sneaker world is something that really takes a shoe to the next level. It's also sometimes the origin story of, of brands, right? Like Jordan at its core is a collaboration to some degree. They decided that they needed Michael Jordan, the most popular athlete in the world to be a part of their brand. And that was Nike. Can you kind of just speak to the intersection of sneakers and sports? Obviously, you know, athletes need to wear sneakers to be able to do their job, but just on a lifestyle perspective and on a business side, the importance of having, you know, an Eminem, a DJ Khaled, a, a LeBron James, the importance of people like this being connected with some of the biggest sneaker brands in the world. I love the fact that you pointed out the fact that Jordan brand itself is a collab and that started that way. It's true, right? I mean, you had Nike and and Air Jordan back in the day. And I think a lot of people, you know, gloss over that or don't realize that it was maybe the first, you know, true, you know, hype collab that existed. There's a ton of collabs that have not been done well. There's a ton that have sit on, end up sitting on, on sale shelves and are, are bricks in the parlance. Um, And so it's about those ones that truly hit that are done right for the right reason 
that have real creative juice behind it. You can't just take the biggest names in the world, the biggest brands in the world and smash them together and, and expect that it's going to hit. That said, back to the point, it's just supply and demand. So if you take two things that both have high demand and put them together and create something that is now more limited because these brands don't normally work together, you're creating something that you're, you're, there's a multiplier effect on the demand side and the supply side is, is that much uh, lower. And that's how you end up with some of these truly, you know, out, just outsized pricing and, and just, you know, crazy examples. But at the core, the important point of, of any collab is the fact that it is the convergence of culture, right? And where we started to before, the more people that are outside of the sneaker industry that aren't in this direct line of sight example, you know, Michael Jordan plays basketball, LeBron James plays basketball. So they create basketball shoes with Nike. That's easy. It's bringing in the, the, the cultural relevance and, and Virgil Abloh and, and everything he's done with Nike is a perfect example of that, of, of taking that way, way beyond just the, the traditional viewpoint. Olivia, do you feel at all convinced to become a sneakerhead yet? Or should we keep trying to convince you? I mean, I hear $30,000 shoes and I just think of all the things I could buy with that. I mean, that's one Birkin bag and I don't even think I want a Birkin bag, but that's like 33 pairs of Louboutins. <laughs> well, well, look, the thing about StockX is that, you know, it's evolved from, you know, what we knew as just a place to go get cool sneakers to a place where you can get, you know, designer items and, and, and purses and figurines and things like that. Josh, can you just kind of speak to the growth of StockX and how you call it the stock market of things? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And for sure, we don't need to, to convince you to buy $30,000 shoes. But there's, <laughs> there's products at every price point across the board at StockX. And it's really not about that. It absolutely started that way. You know, I left StockX in September to create businesses in the trading card space. And trading cards are what's happening in trading cards today is almost identical to what was happening in sneakers in 2012, 2013, as we were concepting what would become StockX. And it's the same people, it's the same supply and demand construct. You have Michael Jordan at the center of both of it. And the reason I bring this up is because the vision for StockX, even from the very beginning, and the vision for the trading card businesses that I'm now involved in now, and even the entire trading card industry, it's the same thing. This concept of a stock market of things is not about sneakers. It's about this unique model. It's about this viewpoint that retail pricing is an antiquated concept that we should understand supply and demand to understand what is the true market value? What is the true price of any consumer good? And so that's why we very quickly added watches and handbags to the, was the first categories that we added. In fact, you know, maybe we were just stupid, but we added watch and handbags before we added Supreme and streetwear, right? And eventually we added Supreme and streetwear and it very quickly became, you know, the second largest category in the site. And then we added collectibles and cause and bare brick and, and other toys and then trading cards. And even since I left, you know, the team has continued to, to add products and has a, a pretty deep electronics business there as well. The, all the, the consoles, the PlayStation and Xbox and all the, the periphery products around it. All of these come back to that same question on is, these should be supply and demand priced products. And that's what StockX is. That's what the stock market of things is. And it's a confusing concept, which is why we spent years out there talking about it. But that's the real business. It's the model. And Josh, now you've made, you know, you're speaking about this kind of shift that you've made into the trading card industry and, you know, watching what's happening in that realm with 
you know, sports trading cards, which was, uh, you know, a hobby for a lot of people when they were younger. And then now this explosion of like sports NFTs do things like NBA Top Shot and stuff. Can you kind of just speak to how sports is playing a role in other industries besides just, you know, ticket sales and streaming and things like that? Yeah. You know, I, I said it earlier for sneakers, but for trading cards, also, I have the exact same story as every other 43-year-old card collector, which is we all collected cards in the 80s and 90s. We all left our cards under our, our parents' basement for the last you know 25 years as we grew up and went away and, and built a life. And we're all now coming back into that, that hobby and that industry because you know I'm just the perfect like everyman from that generation. Like When I was 10, the only two things I cared about in the world were sneakers and baseball cards. And there's a through line to, to sports you know, in that. And a lot of the other collectible products that have been created recently around this, NFTs and Top Shot being kind of the most notable, looks and feels like trading cards. You know, there's a pack element, there's an opening element, there's a chase element to it. It is something very, very different, but it is that through line of sports and trading cards, even though there's a huge trading card business in non-sports. And in fact, uh, I've been sitting here watching my my phone as I'm trying to win some eBay auctions right now for some uh, Jimi Hendrix rookie cards, which is a whole nother, nother story. But, you know, sports being such a big part of it, it is back to the economics part of this. It is the demand part of it, right? We have this inherent demand that's been built around Air Jordans and the sport part of that and trading cards and the sport part of that. And it's almost identical. Man, in 2013 and 2014, I would get hit up, you know, five, six times a week from, from friends saying, hey, man, can you help me find those Jordans we used to wear in high school? And today it's, hey, man, can you help me find Jordan rookies, right? That's a through line to, to all of this. I've got to ask, Josh, what is your favorite pair behind you or maybe within arm's reach of you? There's only about like five pairs within arm reach and there's about 500 pairs in the room you know, that you guys can't see the rest of it. Next to the, next to the Carhartt fours is a pair of shoes that we had made out of Chicago's Bulls Jordan jerseys and NBA basketballs. So it was a series of 10 Air Jordan 1s. We actually made it for the second ComplexCon, the first ComplexCon that StockX had a, had a, um, a presence at. And we gave away five of them, and then we kept five of them. I kept one, and, and everyone had it. But it was a good example of, you know, again, the kind of convergence of, of all of this. But the shoes are extraordinary because, you know, the quality was amazing. And there's one of the 10 that is made of all NBA basketball. The whole thing is NBA basketball, which is super cool. But this is the one that was my size. It's got some of the red and white striped Bulls jersey and, and NBA basketball on it. So, and that, that one is priceless. There is, no, there is no price point on that one. It's, the only, it's, a, it's a one of one. Well, I will say, I think the collection behind you is just beautiful. And thank you so much. My mind is pretty blown right now. This is about Sneaker 101, the economy of it, the social importance of it, the, the way it kind of reflects our own history and culture is so fascinating to me. So honestly, thank you so much. I learned a lot and my friends are going to be very impressed as I rattle some of this back out. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, Josh, be safe. Well, Olivia, Josh obviously was great as we expected. And he spoke very vaguely at times <laughs> about the price of shoes. He didn't want to get too in depth with it, but I thought 
you know, being that you were so much intrigued by the price of some of these sneakers and why they're so expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Nosy maybe. (laughs) I figured maybe I'd throw a few pairs of shoes at you, not literally, (laughs) but uh, metaphorically here so that you can try to guess what the price of them is. I'm going to be so bad. Are you nervous to do this? The price is right. Let's do it. Well, I decided because we are a sports podcast to do sneakers that are somehow tethered to athletes or programs. So I've got four of them. Okay. And we'll start with LeBron's first signature shoe. It's called the Nike Air Zoom Generation. And just for the sake of this, since we had Josh, we're going to go based on stock X prices. If you wanted to buy LeBron's first ever shoe... In a size 10, which is my size. Okay. How much do you think it would cost right now? Can I phone a friend? You can, but you may want to use that phone a friend <laughs> for a more difficult uh, okay. one. I've got four okay. of them, and this is the first one. So okay. maybe you want to save it? Um, $200. $200. Why 200 Why that rate? Because you made it sound like the best is yet to come. So I'm going to guess that you're starting me low. Okay. Well, I am starting you low. It's not quite 200 bucks. It is a bit more than that, but I thought that you were going to oversell these. You can buy them right now in a size 10 on StockX for $383. So not horrible. Oh my God. But what you're already saying? Oh my God. That was horrible. I was almost half. You think this is too much? (laughs) I mean, Look, I, I buy shoes that have commas in them. Like I, I get it, but I have a hard time imagining that a sneaker costs that much. But again, I'm, I'm learning here. This is an educational episode for me. I will say what a flex that is to say that I buy shoes with a comma <laughs> in it. That's hard. That is a flex <laughs> for sure. All right. Here. But they're worth it. They're worth it. Yeah. You're talking high designer. You know, I'm sure luxury goods. These are. But they're also, they're, they're what I call, I need to take an Uber to the front door of the restaurant because I can't walk in them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the I've table seen, better be close to the hostess stand. I've seen my sisters try to make it through the restaurant in a pair yeah. of Louboutins. It doesn't always go that well, but let's no. keep on rolling here. Yes. This shoe that I'm asking about now is a University of Kentucky PE P.E. is an acronym for player exclusive. So not everyone can get them. These were made solely for the players. And at one point they were worn by Drake when he came to their version of Midnight Madness, which I think they call Blue Madness, but I'm not sure. But this is a pair of shoes called the Air Jordan 8 Retro Kentucky Madness. P.E. What is the average resale price of the Kentucky Jordan 8s, do you think, on StockX? I'm going to guess, because Drake is attached to them now, and I feel like everything Kentucky does is gold. I rock Kentucky blue on these O's. <laughs> I'm going to guess 500 bucks. I loved the Drake bar that you just <laughs> dropped. You guessed 500 but you missed a key mention. I told you that they were a player exclusive, which means they're super limited. Do you want to give it another go? So you can't get them. Shoot. Um, $750. $750 is roughly 10% of what the actual average resale price of these are on StockX. 
No. The average resale price as Olivia's jaw has dropped to the floor is seven thousand dollars. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh okay, I'm sorry. Like again, there are so many more valuable things you can do with seven thousand dollars. You can invest in the stock market, for example, and really set yourself up. Why would someone buy those? Sometimes you just want to look fly, you know. Sometimes you just want to look. I- like yes. money. Let's take it over to the tennis court. This is a pair of shoes okay. from Roger Federer. They're called the Nike Zoom Vapor okay. Air Jordan 3 White Cements. So it is a collab between Roger Federer and Air Jordan. Obviously, two very, very high profile athletes. Size 10, my size. If you wanted to buy them right now on Stock X, how much would they run you, Olivia? What do you think? Is it four digits? You got to give me some. I can't give you that. I can't give you that. Ah. Okay. Then I'm going to go 750 again. I just feel like that is what an expensive sneaker would cost, but I'm not good so far. Well, Olivia, 750 is close enough to give you the point. Okay. I'm going to say that you're right here because these are $785 in a size 10 if you wanted to buy them right now on StockX. Okay. Now, let's see if I can hold serve. What's the fourth? Here we go. The fourth one. Let's go to the baseball diamond. Derek Jeter has a collaboration with Jordan Brand on a Jordan 11, a shoe that you own. Yeah. This is a Jordan <laughs> 11 Derek Jeter edition right now okay. on StockX. How much? Okay. Can I use my phone a friend on this one? Yes, you to can. To someone who's standing in the kitchen. You can. Okay. Go for it. Hey, someone who's standing in the kitchen, Derek Jeter, Jordan 11, size 10 on StockX. How much would that retail for? Not retail, resell. Resell. Derek Jeter, $15,000. 15000 Final answer. 15000 was what your friend said. Your friend is yeah, someone who- Yeah, he's a good who, friend. Your, your friend was someone who knows a thing or two about sneakers, who's been signed to some major sneaker deals. Yeah. He is close. He is very, very close. Close. The average resale price on StockX right now is $18,257. Very close from Sam. Over $18,000. Good job, honey. Good job. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Shout out to Sam, who is your husband and again, a uh, professional basketball player. Olivia, I don't know that you would have gotten remotely close to guessing that Derek Jeter's Jordans are $18,000. That's disturbing. Come on. Again, put it in the stock market, kids. <laughs> and not into stock X, but stock market Ooh. instead. Well, guys, yeah. we are wrapping up with this week's Lion's Lock, where our guru from BetMGM, Peter Andrew, gives you all of the insider knowledge about which picks are worth your money, and which ones you may want to hold off on. Well, we're wrapping things up with this week's Lions Lock, where our guru and at this point, honorary co-host from BetMGM, Peter Andrew, gives you all of the insider knowledge about which picks are worth your money and which ones you should hold off on. Peter, welcome back to the show, which is at this point, never seen a single episode without you. (laughs) How's everything and, and how was the week in sports betting? Yeah. Thanks for having me again, guys. Everything great. Obviously, uh, an amazing Masters week. So nice to get, finally get back to some normalcy there. But now we're on that stretch, uh, you know, 
going towards NBA and NHL playoffs. So it's about to get exciting. Looking like mid-May, we'll have the kickoff playoffs. So really, it's a grind from here. Is there something that people should be looking out for when it comes to this upcoming week? Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at the top of the East uh, in the NBA with the Nets and the Sixers, now tied for first place. Team like the Sixers, I think 12 of their last 19 games are are at home where Nets is almost the opposite. So Sixers have a pretty decent opportunity of getting that number one seed, which would be huge for the playoffs. Obviously positioning themselves against some of the weaker teams in the East as they go through, I think would be really important. But when you talk about just this week specifically, obviously we had a tilt on uh, Wednesday between the Nets and the Sixers, but they come right back at it against the Clippers on Friday. Uh, I think this is a real test to where they can be and, and how they can shape up come playoff time. So I love the Sixers here. They're at home against a really good Clippers team, so you know they'll have their uh, their Friday best. And I think it'll be a nice, exciting matchup, especially as we get into May. Peter, as we do get into May and playoff season, what are some other ways than maybe the more obvious ones that people think of where they can put their money? Yeah, so it's uh, there's always obviously the day-to-day betting and there's the futures. Mm-hmm. But I personally like the some of our more binary markets like team to make a playoff run yeah. or team to make the playoffs, I should say. So, you know, you get a team that's on the fringe, maybe like the Knicks that you think will get in. I think that's a decent way to put your money. You're rooting for them to kind of wrap up the best way possible. And then certainly just our one game parlays. So where you're really putting your kind of knowledge to what players are actually doing with a game, not just betting on the actual outcome of the game. So LeBron to score 25 points and 80 to have 10 rebounds. I think those are the most exciting bets where you're really rooting for specific player props and, and what they're going to do in that given game. And same in the MLB with, you know, down the stretch finish. And we're so early in the MLB season, but what teams do you think are already undervalued or maybe overvalued? Well, on the undervalued side, I think you'd have to probably stick with the two New York teams. Mm-hmm. They've, they've definitely started off not so great. Uh, Yanks specifically, but certainly Mets are kind of in that similar situation. So certainly I think there's some room for improvement there. And then maybe on the overvalued side, I'm still not sold on the, uh, on the Cincinnati Reds. I think they've started pretty decently. I think, you know, by the time we're recording this, there's something like six and two, but, but certainly think things will level out a bit as the season goes on. Central has a couple of decent teams, Cardinals. I think Cubs still have a, a legitimate shot of being there in September. Yeah, it'll be interesting over the next couple of months, especially as we get into summer. Now, Peter, regardless of sport, is there maybe a team or a player that's just kind of been someone that's been leading you to the promised land when it comes to bets? Someone who's somebody uh, to keep their eye on as people are deciding where to put their money. Yeah. So when we talk about NFL season, I'm a huge Niners fan. It was always Raheem Mostert. But now that we've gotten into NBA season, James Harden, bet him a couple times to record triple doubles, which you're getting a plus 1,000 or plus 1,200 kind of bet with him. I think that's that type of player that really leads you through and, and wins you quite a, quite a handful of money on certain games. And we know how often he has the opportunity or potential to get a triple double. So that's a bet I always like to take. So I'm going to keep riding that storm through the playoffs. And then any uh, predictions on some upsets that you think may happen as the NBA playoffs get closer? Is there a team that, you know, you're just thinking is not going to pan out the way most people think they will? Yeah, there's a few teams. As as much as I just talked up Harden, I, I still think the Nets will potentially lose to the Sixers in the East Conference Finals. So that's Ooh. one that I'm really, I'm really pinpointing. I just think the, the size uh, of the Sixers, I just don't think the Nets will match up well against them. So 
I'm probably going. So don't put your money with the Nets is what you're saying. Just put it on Harden, not with the Nets. <laughs> but yeah, obviously the Nets are a really, really good team. Basically have a big six now if you talk about Aldridge and Blake Griffin when he's healthy yeah. and, and obviously the big three. But something about that Sixers team, I think they're just, they're hungry. And I think they just have a little bit of that, um, that size that, that can end up being a, a matchup nightmare for the Nets. And then on the, on the West Coast side, I'm not, sold at all on the Lakers. Uh, obviously, AD and LeBron still hurt. They're coming really? back. It's coming back soon, but I really like this Clippers team. I just don't think there's a lot of depth on this Lakers team. So I'm going to I'm gonna go against probably the green again there, but I'm going to say Clippers in the finals and, and upset in the Lakers. Very, very interesting. Okay, Peter, Andrew, thank you so much for your insight as always. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. That is our show. Hopefully you can go now and impress all your friends with your sneaker knowledge. I know I'm going to try. Make sure to check out all of the action from BetMGM. Follow them everywhere at BetMGM. And please leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.